Thoughts with Kim and Carolyn. So, Carolyn, I have always loved exploring old cemeteries and ghost towns. When I was in high school, I actually lived right across the street from our town cemetery. It was a beautiful spot perched up on a hill and you had views of the valley, the nearby Santa Ana River. It was always quiet and somewhere I would go just to walk when I felt frustrated or, you know, teenager just needing to get out of the house. It was a really calming spot for me. And I was always careful to be respectful, of course, not to walk on the graves. And sometimes I'd even pick up phone branches or, you know, other debris or trash. That is, that is so funny because I was always taught, hey, we're passing by the cemetery. Hold your breath so you don't catch Hold, death. What? I know. Oh my gosh. I know. So no, I'm- there's something really quiet and peaceful about a graveyard that just speaks to me. And to learn about the people who used to live in an area is so interesting as well. How the graves are arranged, what kind of ornamentation they have, how they're maintained also says a lot about a place and the people who are laid to rest there. And the same can be said about ghost towns. A few years ago, I took my family on a hike up to Monte Cristo. This is a famous ghost town. It's in eastern Snohomish County. It's tucked up in the mountains on the northern side of the Okanagan-Wenatchee National Forest. The only way to get there is to hike in about four miles on what used to be an old mining route, where they had rail cars that would bring silver and gold down off the mountain. And when you're hiking there, you can totally picture the beat up metal mine carts being rolled down through the forest right alongside the raging Salk River. If you do decide to make this trek, just so you know, there is one spot you actually have to cross on top of this massive felled tree over Man, this river. Man, your kids must, must have been loving you, right? Oh my gosh, we almost turned around because <laughs> I don't have much faith in my own balance. But uh, it was a challenge. It was really good to overcome that thanks to the steady hand of my husband. I don't think I would have been able to do it on my own. But anyhow, the town of Monte Cristo, not easy to get to. Even back when it was in use, the roads are really steep, not very wide. I think that's part of what eventually eventually led to the town's demise. But I want to go back to the summer of 1889. This is the same year that Washington actually became a state. Joe Pearsall and Frank Peabody discovered a rich vein of gold and silver at the site of Monte Cristo. They built the railway in 1893 to connect the mines with the smelter in Everett. And over the next 20 years or so, the mines produced millions of dollars worth of ore. This was also right around the time of the gold rush. People from all over came to the area to stake their claims, and the mining started climbing higher and higher into the peaks. They even had a series of aerial tramways at one point that would carry the minerals down off the mountain to the railway, where it could then be taken into Everett for the smelting. Now, the town of Monte Cristo at this point began to explode, relatively speaking. At the height, it had over a 1,000 people. It was completely self-contained. They had stores, they had a school, they even had a newspaper and a few hotels. But it was not easy mining. Like, you couldn't go and, like, pan for gold in the river. It's not what we're talking about here. They had to blast through hard rock to get to these deposits, which meant that it took some really deep pockets in order to be successful there because you had to have a lot of equipment and people. Some of the top producing claims were the Mystery on Mystery Hill, the Pride of the Mountains, and Golden Cord. Pretty quick, there were some big names that were starting to notice what was happening at Monte Cristo, and they wanted in. I'm just still, I have this image of, like, these carts full of gold and silver. I just can't even, I don't even have a frame of reference for that. Like, is it chunks of mountain with... I've seen. I know what you're talking about. I mean, I can see it in Scooby Doo when they're going through the mall. <laughs> well, that is, that's what it is. I that's know, what it but is. I can't. I just can't get to the place where they're just filled with gold and silver. Well, it'd be hunks of rock. Okay. So it okay. wouldn't necessarily a 
pure goldish necessarily. You might see flecks of gold, but you know that's why it needed to be taken down off the mountain to be processed so they could refine the gold and silver and get it out of there. So all of these big names were starting to get interested in Monte Cristo. One of the financiers was a company backed by John D. Rockefeller. Mm -hmm. And there was another famous financial name attached to one of these mining operations, and it was Friedrich Trump. Wow. And yes, he is the grandfather of our current president. So before I get too deep into this part of the story, I just want to let you know where I'm getting all of this information. A lot of it's coming from the Monte Cristo Preservation Association, History Link, Wikipedia, and Trump family biographer Gwenda Blair. So Friedrich Trump was born in Bavaria, what is now Germany, back in 1869. When he was 16, he fled the country because there was mandatory conscription back then. All young men had to serve in the Bavarian military for at least a year or two. He didn't want to do it. Mm -hmm. So rather than take up arms, Trump fled the country. He immigrated to New York, where he worked as a barber for a short time. A few years later, he moved to the Northwest looking for an easier way to make a little cash. And he opened up a restaurant and brothel in Canada. Apparently did pretty well there. So in 1891, he took some savings to Seattle, bigger city, where he opened another establishment in what is now Pioneer Square. Wow. Trump biographer Gwenda Blair says at the time the area was, quote, a hotbed of sex, booze and money, the indisputable center of action in Seattle. Well, not wrong. The restaurant that Trump opened was advertised to include Rooms for Ladies, which was a nickname for prostitution. In 1894, Trump again started to think about how he could expand his illegal empire, and he moved to the town of Monte Cristo. I mean, think about it. You've got hundreds of miners stuck up in the mountains, many of them away from their families, pretty much cut off from the world for months at a time. It was a gold mine. Literally. For and, someone and, peddling female company. Well, and that's exactly what, you know, the, the story that we just did, Billy Gould. Right? It's like this cottage industry, there's so much money to be had with these sailors and the t- and miners. So Friedrich Trump wanted to buy a piece of land that he could build a hotel on and open up the same kind of business he had in Seattle. He found the perfect plot. It was right near where they were building this future train station. So he knew he'd get a lot of business. But he couldn't afford it. It was $1,000 to buy this piece of land. That was a lot of money back then. So he figured out a way to get around that obstacle by basically stealing it. Even though the land had already been claimed by a man in Everett, Trump filed a gold placer claim on the land, which basically meant he didn't own it outright, but he had the claim to mine the property exclusively. He had all the mineral rights without paying a dime. Now, he shouldn't have been able to do that because that guy in Everett had already staked his claim, but the guy wasn't living on the property. He couldn't physically keep Trump off. And apparently back in those days, the U.S. land office was known to be really corrupt. And there were a lot of these double claims that were found later on. This was not unusual. And even though Trump wasn't allowed to build anything on the land, only dig in it, take away from it, he immediately started working on building a boarding house, a restaurant and a brothel very similar to that operation in Seattle. In fact, he never mined the property at all. So I'm kind of confused here. How d- the double claim, like, why would he put that into it if he knew that they could come and say, oh, well, you have to take it down because you can't build here? Who's going to come up and say that? You're in a town that's miles away from anyone. Yeah. There's just there's nobody there to enforce the rules is basically what it comes down to. Okay. Now, the biographer Blair explained that once he had mined the miners for all of their hard-earned money, he finally saved up enough that he eventually did buy that piece of land. But it wasn't until a year or two after he had already built his hotel and brothel. 
1896, Trump was elected as Justice of the Peace for the town of Monte Cristo. So once again, there's a reason why he's never been accused of a crime. If you're the police chief, you're going to charge yourself. Yeah. (laughs) So putting himself in a position of power. And that was pretty much the end of that once prosperous mining town. Not because Trump was elected, although it does seem a bit ironic, but because the mining companies realized that while there was a lot of rich ore near the surface, there wasn't much deep down. The deeper they dug, the smaller the mineral deposits became. So basically, the Rockefellers said it wasn't worth it anymore. They pulled their money out, and most of the others soon followed. By that time, there was the Klondike Gold Rush in 1897. So a lot of the miners decided, you know, let's go head north, try to make our fortunes there. With no miners to visit his establishment, Trump sold off his land and moved back to Seattle. And to top it all off, there was apparently massive flooding and several avalanches in the area of Monte Cristo. The following winter, it completely ruined the rail line that carried all of the ore out of town, and no one wanted to pay to have it rebuilt. It just wasn't worth it. There were a couple of efforts to try and revitalize this town in the early 1900s, but again, there was a period of severe flooding that made it nearly impossible. And then in the 1980s, the area was used for tourism for a short time. The county fixed up a gravel road so you could get up there. It was like a one-lane gravel road to get up there, and they put some campsites. They even opened like a small restaurant and a lodge and a little museum. But again, massive flooding washed out the road. They closed the lodge, and shortly after... There was a fire that burned the lodge to the ground under what's described as suspicious circumstances. I do have a question at this point. So was it in like a valley and it's surrounded by mountains? No, it is up in the mountains. It is up in the mountains. And if you go up there, you will find that there are pockets of buildings in different spots, different little flattened areas within the mountains. Like there's one spot where it appears to be some kind of a, a shop or a store or, or something like that. It's not a house. It's a different kind of building. It's it's hard to explain it, but it's like a big open building. Mm-hmm. And then there's another spot, another little open area that has a bunch of tiny little cabins lined up, like miners' cabins. Oh, okay. So if you go up there, you can see some of this stuff. None of the large buildings remain, mm-hmm. but there's some of the smaller buildings. You can also find um, items, really interesting uh, things that you'll find up there. A lot of metal is still there, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Because it doesn't burn or right. it doesn't get washed away by flooding. Some of the things we found were like a cast iron bathtub. We found an old safe, like a big iron safe yeah, with the door open. And my daughter thought it'd be fun to climb in. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and I don't know why I let her do it. I have a picture, which is adorable. But now looking back, it was probably really stupid. Well, I'm sure it's so rusted. It's not like it can actually shut. But, but... can you imagine? <laughs> oh, yeah. She cut herself with that. <laughs> oh my... Right. There's so many things to unpack So many there. things. Well, the Forest Service now has ownership of the area. In 1983, the Monte Cristo Preservation Association was established to try and maintain the area for hiking and camping. So that's why you can still go up there today. Also, some basic camp sites and a vault toilet has been set up by the Forest Service. It's up in the mountains. Some people will stay the night. You can stay the night. I do not recommend it because even in the summertime, sometimes it gets down to freezing. Wow. But it is gorgeous. It is a beautiful spot. So if you get the opportunity, I would highly recommend the hike to Monte Cristo. And I'll put some pictures up on our website. But aren't aren't there some ghosts? I didn't see any. I thought that you were, I thought that's, I I thought I saw somewhere that there, that this was a ghost town. Well, a ghost town is any town that's been abandoned. Really? I didn't know that. I just (laughs) thought that it was like, there were ghosts, it was known to be a ghost town. It's a ghost town because the only people who might still live there are ghosts. 
okay. because nobody lives there well, anymore. Well, there's another reason to go to the ghost town. I mean, if you stay the night, maybe you'll find some. We were there in broad daylight. Maybe the ghosts were sleeping. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I learned something new about ghost towns that I didn't know, so thank you. 